We're continuing where we left off. This is Word is Truth Christian Church. This is Doug Presley, and we are, it is 7-4-2021. We're continuing with the thought of the week and prayer. The thought of the week for this week is titled Truth versus Tradition and Emotion. There is a past, a classic passage for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord that's found in Isaiah chapter 55 verse 8 truth should never be judged by your thoughts your ways or any way or another way to put it do not judge your truth but how you feel about it This is hard to see because we are so trusting and accepting of what is familiar to us. Truth should never be made to bow to what seems to feel right to us. As our Lord taught about those few century Jews, first century Jews, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules found in Matthew chapter 15, verse 9. Truth is naturally foreign to us, which is why we must have humility to see it. When the disciples heard the truth from Jesus, Thomas, the Philip's response, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. That comes from John 14, 8. Or... As Nicodemus said, how can it be? Found in John 3, 9. I am sure these questions represent all of us when we hear the truth. With strained and wrinkled brows, we all struggle with the theology of truth compared to our traditions. We have securely tied our emotions to our precious traditional norms and standards not only has truth become foreign but we often are incensed and frustrated at the sound of it when the numbers of the sanhedrin heard this they were furious and gashed their teeth at him found in acts chapter 7 verse 54 truth is determined by what the word of god teaches and The word of God is always ready for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16. You know, my short commentary on this is, you know, we all, in Adam, you know, the scriptures tell us in Adam all die, and Christ also be made alive. Uh, So all of us were not, in other words, Christ's truth, the truth that Christ sees as, in other words, people have all kinds of truths, but God's word uh, is what I call truth. And anything apart from God's word, to me, doesn't have a, a base of truth. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, God says it this way, 
For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged. In other words, it's alive. It's pertinent for today. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and it judges thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I'm going to lean on God's word versus what I think uh, and allow myself to be transferred by, transformed by God's word. At this time, I'm going to turn the service over to Dwight for our prayer. Thank you very much, Fred. Um, I will be paying, praying for us and for our families. If you have any special requests on above and beyond those, let me know now before I start. Okay, I will keep us all in mind in our prayer. Let us bow our heads. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful opportunity that we have available through technology to make this unique and intimate connection. That we can be, even though we're hundreds of miles apart, we can be unified in the spirit, in the bond of peace. I pray for all of us on the call, our immediate families, our extended family, um, and, and those people we know, that all of us would be diligent in seeking God. I pray for the body of Christ worldwide as well, with persecution, and there are believers who are, who are seeking you, all believers, whether young and old or new and mature. Um, I pray that all believers would have that opportunity to seek you in a deeper way, in a way that you have revealed yourself to us. We pray for courage and boldness to step up to diligently seek God, Abba, Father, and allow him to use use us for his purposes, for your purposes, I should say, since I'm speaking to you, Father, which we know are saturated with your grace and drenched with your love. We pray for all people everywhere that they would use their volition to accept the truth from the spirit of truth and be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, all truth. And then as Christ stated, we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. For if the Son sets us free, we will be free indeed. And it is for freedom that Christ set us free from the sin nature. We pray for all our brothers and sisters and everyone we know that you, our Father, would keep watch over us, knowing that the evil one has his agenda in this world and his faith is set against us. But who can separate us from the love of God in Christ? There's nothing in all creation. Let us be encouraged by these words, which are your words for us. In Christ's name I pray these things. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you, Dwight and Fred. And we're, we're going to head straight into where we left off last week. And we're at uh, John chapter 16 and verse 15. It reads, All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, The Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So we, we're going to um, 
uh, go through, uh, we, we did go through half of the notes, but we're going through the other half at this time. So in your notes, we are privileged to be made aware of the Father's eternal purpose. We can say that because prior to this age, this information was kept hidden in God who created all things. For various reasons, many are still not fully aware of this information, even though it is now available to know. We are not only given the entire plan, but the details of how it is accomplished. We should know that we are given all the information. For Christ says, for everything that I learned from the Father, I have made known to you. As we read into this new information, we find God's eternal purpose in creating all things. It is no secret why he is telling us this information. While it is certainly God's business, it is about us. It is one thing to read the Bible because we are learning about God himself. But now, with added emphasis, we are learning about what God has planned for us who are in Christ. So we covered this last week. We took our time, I, I hope. Um, and we looked at this first phrase, all that belongs to the Father is mine. This is what Christ said. That verse is... Uh, very detailed, and I would say we have to give it some thought. What do you mean all that belongs to the Father is yours? Uh, is Christ being selfish here? And absolutely not. This is the Father has given all these things over to him. So we covered a lot of that and why and what, what the scope of all things that are given to Christ. What is it in particular? We looked at that. And we got all the way down, and I can't re rehearse any of this because if we do, we'll, we'll go off into a whole nother area. But we're going to move to the second phrase. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from what He will make known to you. So we got a verse. This verse is similar to a verse that He said earlier. So the part where he says, that is why I said, he said it, when, when did he say it? If you say it, if you look at the, the verses, he said it in, in the previous verse. That's why he can say, that is why I said. And what we want to do is begin to dig in to why he's emphasizing or re-emphasizing this point. So the first point to make is, that is why I said, okay, there should be no confusion. This is one of the reasons why he's saying it this time, because he's adding some information. There should be no confusion between the father and the son's role in the plan, where Christ is glorified. Now, we know this, and I'm going to go to John, and I'm looking at verse 14, 16, 14. This is the first verse. This is literally where he says it. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So in, in this iteration of him saying it, he's letting us know that the Father is the one he has received 
all things or this information. All that belongs to the Father is mine, is the way he starts out. And when he says, that is why I said the Spirit will receive from me. In the earlier verse in 14, he didn't say anything about the Father. He's talking about the Spirit and how the Spirit will glorify him because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So now in this verse, he's letting us know that uh, all that he received from the Father is what he will make known to us. And when it says he will make known to us, it's the Holy Spirit, obviously. So he's integrating the Father into uh, the theology of what we're talking about here. So I want to go to the second one is John 17, 21 through 24 to help us understand more. 17, 21, we know these verses. It says that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, you and me, so that they so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So I love these verses. And soon, I should say soon, whenever we get to these verses in John 17, we will be covering them in great detail. We'll take our time. But for now, we can see that there is an integration between what the Father has given to Christ and what he has made through Christ. He has called us from the creation of the world, before creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. So these verses help us understand the Father's integration here. Point B, why is Christ telling us this information? Uh, in other words, he could have hid the fact that this was from, well, he couldn't really hide it because all throughout the chapters, uh, we see, all the Gospels, we see Christ telling us, well, I'm not here for myself, I'm here for the Father. It's not my words, it's the Father's words. Don't you believe when, when I tell you that the Father's in me? And if you don't believe, then you should believe for the very works themselves that I'm doing. So in other words, Christ didn't hide this fact, but he is more telling us this so that there is no confusion whatsoever between what, who the Father is and who the Son is in the plan. Right? So when you think about, there's a few things I can say about that phrase <clears throat> and i the first one is he has been talking much about the father so the disciples should know this is the same plan and it comes from the father so jesus is giving credit where credit is due and he's saying i'm here to to demonstrate the father's plan i'm executing it and even though i'm going to receive glory as a result of this i want you to know it is about the Father. Right? It is His plan. He is working His plan in Christ. Uh, 
So that's one thing. And he, he didn't want the disciples to say, well, yeah, the father, this father he's been talking about, that's something else. But this that he's telling us now, this is about him. Now, Christ is integrating that whole thing. And, and, and there's not two plans or three plans. I know some, some people would say, oh, well, there's the plan of God for Israel. And there's the plan of God for, for Christ. And then there's just the plan of God for the church. Now, there's just one plan. And all of these are component parts of that one plan. Christ is integrating it all, showing how all of it fits together. And that makes sense to us. So point two, the disciples are given the details of the plan because they need to know it. And when I say they need to know it, it, I'm saying that it's about them. There will be things that they will have to go through uh, immediately. Now, when I say immediately, I mean <laughs> right but as Christ is finished talking. In, in fact, the next verse in 16 begins to talk about how they are going to go through this roller coaster of emotions. So if I go to, if I read the verse, Christ says in verse 16, Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. <laughs> when the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by the saying? Well, there's going to be a roller coaster of emotions that the disciples are going to go through. Now, Jesus is preparing them for what's immediately going to happen. Remember, through all of that, Christ will be crucified, buried, risen, and he will go through the ascension and session where he sits in heaven and he sends, they, they send the Holy Spirit back to the earth. The disciples are going to be right forefront and seated to see all of this happen immediately. We're looking back on this. For me, it's 2,000 years old, but it is for the disciples, their immediate future. So he's telling them. Uh, they're giving these details of the plan, and not only they're getting ready, to, it's going to be a new dispensation. So it's important to us to integrate the Father into our theology. And Jesus thinks it's important, so... I think it's important. And not only that, we're going to find out that this information pertains to us. It's about us. I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't he tell us? I mean, we'll, we'll get to more of that. But why have all these scriptures here? And we don't have to read all these scriptures. <coughs> Excuse me. We don't have to go through every scripture here. But if you would like to, as an exercise... I would suggest going through and seeing how uh, much the Father is integrated into our theology. That never happened before. If you read the Old Testament, you don't see it that way. But when you read the New Testament, I mean, and we're going to read some of these, but I'm not going to go through all of them for the sake of time. So I'll start with Galatians. And it's just right at the beginning of each book, especially from the Apostle Paul. Not only the Apostle Paul, but especially from him. So if we were to go to, uh, which one I have? Galatians uh, 1, 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ, notice, and 
God the Father who raised him from the dead. Notice how the Father is now integrated in the plan. And then Paul's greeting and opening to us. Ephesians 1, 1 and 2. Let's go on down. Ephesians um, 1. And I didn't pull all of them. I mean, I'm sure there are some in Corinthians and Romans. I just You can look all this up for yourself as well. Ephesians 1, 2 says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So notice we have not just God, but distinguished who in the Godhead. In particular, we are given praise. And so not only there, and then we go to Philippians. Philippians 1 says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with all with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the and and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have that. Then we have um, Colossians, one, two, and three. Let's go there. Colossians one, two, and three says to God's holy people in Colossae the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. So then it continues in verse three. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we we pray for you. And notice how integrated now the Father. And each one goes on and on. I like to read, skip down to Titus 1.4. Titus one, four. You can read these on your own, remember. I'm not going in any particular order now. It says, To Titus, my true son in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and uh, Christ Jesus our Savior. And um, even Peter has. Uh, I'll read First Peter 1, 1 and 2. This is Peter. Uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to listen to this, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, uh, who have been chosen, look at this, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. What an opening, Peter. What an opening. And I won't continue. I'll stop here. But here's the thought that we understand. Jesus is helping us to understand. He says, that is why I said, I'm including the Father in this so that there's no confusion about who, uh, whose plan this is. This plan was given to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ now uh, is the one who we call Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. So not only did the Father give intentionally this to Christ, Christ did not snatch it from the Father when he says all that belongs to the Father is mine. It is because it is the plan. He's not saying like a little child, mine. When you look at a toy, he says, mine. I think everybody knows what that is. 
that's selfishness and that comes from the sin nature but christ is not saying it like that he's saying i know what the plan is and i know that everything that the father has has been invested in me right remember we last week we talked about all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge we even said all the fullness of deity is now in bodily form in christ right all of that christ understood would be it's not like oh that's the plan you mean now the plan is that he understood this from eternity past it has been hid in god he always knew now now the time has come for these things to to happen and that christ is standing there he's now telling us about uh, how the holy spirit would function when he gets here all that belongs to the father is mine so that's important. Now, I would say take some time when you have a chance to read through there. Point number three. Uh, through our oneness with Christ, we are also one with the Father. And this is uh, part of the mystery, part of our mutual possession and what the Holy Spirit has done uh, by baptizing us into Christ. But by our affiliation and, and union with Christ, it also is extended to the Father. So it's just like if you get married to somebody, you, what you don't always understand is you also are affiliated now with that other person's family. In this way, when we, we say that, we are married to Christ, so to speak. So now, who else do we know as a result of Christ's family? We know the Father. Right? And this is part of the union that we have. So this is uh, John 14, 8 through 11. We saw this, that Christ was related to the Father in this way. I'm going to go back to John, read some verses here. 14, 8 through 11, where <clears throat> Philip asked the question, show us the Father, it'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? even after I have been among you such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So this was a question Philip said, really Jesus said, you know, we've been talking about this all the time, the Father this and the Father that. Even in our context, we saw it. And then uh, Philip says, show us the Father. That'll be enough. In other words, we'll be satisfied once you show us that. We won't ask any more questions. Jesus said, wait a minute, Philip, this has been going on a long time. I've been showing you the Father all this time. Don't you believe that the Father's in me? I've been telling you this, but you obviously don't believe it. Verse 10, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Believe me, I'm going to go to verse 11. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So this is to say that the Father is in Christ and is literally a part of Christ. Now, what's interesting is we also are in Christ. Verse 20, right? Well, this is they will be on that day. What day was that? Pentecost. Verse 20, on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, right? This was the very thing he was pressing upon them to believe, but then they couldn't fully understand it because it hadn't happened to them. 
So once it happened to them, he says, on that day when the Holy Spirit does come, you will realize that I'm in the Father and my Father. You are in me and I am in you. Notice the relationship that we have as a result of the baptism of the Spirit. It doesn't just say the Holy Spirit is in us, but we now have the Father and Christ living in us as well. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. We'll settle down into their hearts. So be at home. So this is part of what is meant here by the oneness that Christ has with the Father. But notice it is extended to us. We already read John 17, 20 through 23 earlier. Uh, so we won't read that one. But I'm going to read Romans 8, 15 through 17 uh, in this regard. Romans 8. 15 through 17 says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves again, uh, make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Another result of what is termed the baptism of the spirit. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, you know, when we look at that word Abba, which is, you know, what Jesus is literally, it is not some dignified, highfalutin way to say God the Father. This is not like some official title that, you know, you might say, and he is now termed and into some Greek word. You know what it is? It's simply a very base word. And it just means daddy. Dad. Father, that a little child would say to their father. That's the relationship we now have. We are children of God. And literally, it's, that's what it says in the very next verse. It doesn't say, yes, and God has dubbed us to be, you know, we are literally children of God. And we're going to, Paul's going to build on that thought. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are we are. This is not just something we get to say. That, that Okay, I'm going to allow you to say that you are, say Abba, Father. He's allowing us to say that because it's true of us. And the Spirit makes that known to us. That's what it says. The Spirit testifies with our spirit. What does he testify? But something about the law? Absolutely not. He testifies that we are God's children. We have a right to call God, Daddy, Father. Right? Abba, right, is, is the very, is the Aramaic of, of what Daddy is to us and are translated in our language. So we're God's children. We have a right to say that to God, the Father, literally. When we talk about the Father being integrated into the plan, we realize that Christ 
even though he's Lord, the Father has conferred on him this part of the plan, but it is the Father's plan. And we recognize our inheritance. Now watch this. Keep reading. We're God's children. Verse 17. Now, if we are children, and we are, really, since we're children, <laughs> that's what it should say, then we are heirs, heirs of God. So, so there you have, we are God's children, and because of the fact that we are children, we are heirs. We stand in a position of inheritance. Now, just remember, we're not inheriting any land. We're not Israel. And we, are in, we, we stand to inherit all things from God, the Father. Right? And we'll, we'll get to, there's more. We talked about this last week, but I don't want to go too far into that because we'll be talking about that again this week. But here we're heirs. I just want to see, want you to see the integration between who we are now in Christ and what the implications are with the Father. Right? And we, we should know that. This is part of our theology now. It's not just, we don't just say God anymore. We can tell you specific members of the Godhead and the roles that they have played or will play in this world. If we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Verse 18, I'm extending it to, I consider that our present sufferings, whatever's going on now, is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And that glory comes as a result of the fact that we're children and we're heirs of God. There's a glory that's going to come as a result of who we are in Christ. And people don't talk about it much, but actually Paul does. I shouldn't say people. Never mind what people say. Just read what the Bible says about it and we'll be blessed through that. So there's this oneness that we have. And this oneness is not just with Christ, it's with the Father. This is point three. And, and then I had John 1.18 just to round it out with the thought, everybody knows who Christ is. 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God. But the only... But the one and only Son, notice this, who is God himself, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So when it says no one has ever seen God, who, who, what are we talking about here? He's clear to talk about that God here that he's speaking of is God the Father. Why? How can we say that? Because... He says, uh, he's talking about the Son, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So Christ is come to reveal the Father. Right? That's what John 1.18 is saying. He's made him known. We wouldn't have known the Father. <clears throat> no one has ever seen God the Father. But the Son, through the Son, we are now brought in close proximity with the Father. Closest relationship. Actually, the Greek words really talks about bosom, like laying on, like so close that you, you are close to the person's bosom, right? 
like a hug. But in, in metaphor speak, really that is to say we are in relationship with Christ and we are in relationship with the Father. We're one with them. No one has ever seen God the Father, but Christ is the one who makes him known. And we are in Christ. So because of our proximity to Christ, we now have proximity to the Father. Hopefully that is understood as we move on in our text. So those are some things we could say. Could we say more things about this? Yes. Yes, we could. And that remains to be seen. Right? We'll, we'll, we'll take our time as we talk about it. The more we talk about it, the more there is to talk about. The Holy Spirit will reveal more information. Point C in our notes. We're moving on. So it has been about the Father's plan all along. And when I say this, I'm saying, no, it was not revealed to ages past and generations and all that. But but it has been about the Father's plan all along. Even though it wasn't known that that's what was going on, people in other generations and other times, they were going about what their roles were. They didn't know what the whole plan was, you know, sort of like jo- like Joseph's brothers. They were playing a role, but they didn't know it. They were just doing what they were doing. But at the end, God, they saw, they said, oh, Joseph saw, he said, man, I'm put in the place of God here. And, uh, you know, God meant this. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So it, it was the Father's plan all along. When we read about this plan, about the mystery where God is bringing many sons into glory, that's what it's all about. It's about this. It's not about any other thing you can think about. And any other thing you can think about, yeah, those were component parts. But from God's perspective, it's all about this. It's not about the angels, it's not about the demons, it's not about Satan, it's not about all those other things that we might think have, you know, sway or or draw our attention away. It's not about Israel. It's not about the Gentiles. All the things that are mentioned in the Bible, right? God could have mentioned the history of China. He could have mentioned the history of whatever. But he only gave us information that we needed so we could get to this point where we now understand the heart of the Father. When it talks about all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are now in Christ, that was hidden from ages and past generations. It was hidden from angels. Nobody knew about this plan until now. And now God is letting us know that all the revelation that he gave prior, it is not false information. We are now to integrate that into God's eternal purpose that he has revealed to us. How he is working things out in the world. And that goes from the, the past to the future. Right? right now he's calling out those many sons in the glory. But in the in the future, we are seeing how all of this still balances out. He still will deal with Israel. He still will deal with Gentiles. He still will deal with Satan, the mark of the beast, the false prophet, uh, the demon. All of those things will still be wrapped up. But just to note, the eternal purpose of God is about 
his calling these many sons into glory. He hid that information. That's what that is to say. It's been about this all along in God's mind, but not in ours. And in ours, and when I say ours, I mean human history, man in human history. It's not it's not been about the Father's eternal purpose because it wasn't known. The Godhead was focused on this plan before time began and made certain choices that matter to us. Well, one of the choices I can clearly say is right there uh, in Ephesians 1.4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Yeah, before God created anything, he chose us for this purpose. But you know, he didn't start out with Adam and, and the woman in the garden and say, okay now, so I got this grand purpose where I'm going to bring many sons into glory. He, didn't, he hid it from all of those people. Israel, well, God dumped a tremendous amount of information in the Mosaic Law about himself and about how he wanted his nation on the earth to function. But he never said a word. No prophecies about it, no intimations or anything. Never said anything about the age in which we live in now. It was a mystery. So Titus 1, 1 through 3. Let's look at that. Um, I think we might have read some of this before. Titus 1. One through three, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further no, yeah, to further the faith of God's elect. This is what Paul is saying. I'm put here for. I, I love this verse from that perspective. Paul, a servant of of God. In other words, I'm here to do the will of God. I'm committed, devoted to Him, and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further. The faith of God's elect. In other words, to bring the revelation of God to the table. And their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. What's godliness? Is there some way we're looking up in the sky very piously? Is that godliness? No, godliness is the way of life that we have. It is characterized in one word by Paul. Godliness. And the way of life, whether we could say it's the Christian way of life. It is akin to godliness. It, it leads us to this Christian way of life. But what do we need to get to that? We need to have that extended knowledge and truth and to further furtherance of the faith that is once for all delivered to the saints. We need that information in order to have this godliness that Paul is talking about. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. So the life that we have includes all of that that Paul spoke of in verse 1. This eternal life, this hope of our eternal life. The absolute hope of our eternal life. Paul talks about it in Romans. He says, he says in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is realized is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? So this is our hope, right? That we get the fullness 
and stature of Christ, that we can get to the place where we stand face to face with the Father, with the full dimensions of the plan, how wide and long and high and deep is the plan, to know this love, that we may have the fullness, to the, the, be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So it's important that we see that God did this. This was the plan all along, right? He saw this from eternity past. So, so then he goes on in verse Titus 1.3. He says, and, and which now at his appointed season... He has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior. Notice his appointed season. That's now. It, it didn't come to light before. It had not been brought to light. But now, at this time, it has been brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command. What Paul, as an apostle and a prophet, being able to deliver this revelation. What an honor that is. What an honor. The handling of such important information. And this information was not just given out frivolously to whomever should run across it. This information was given out on a need-to-know basis. Not a want-to-know basis. You could have wanted to know this and in the Old Testament. Information wasn't available at all. It is a need-to-know basis. And, you know, when I was in the military, that's how I was. You could get levels of security clearances, but it was only based on whether you needed to know the information. If you didn't need to know the information, you couldn't get the security clearance to know the information. If your job... The job you had didn't require you to know that information. Then you couldn't know the information. It would hide it from you. Sure, the information's there, but you don't need to know it, so you, don't, you have what you need to do your job. Israel didn't get to, to know this information because they didn't need it. It wasn't pertaining to them. God gave them what they needed to do, so it's important. So let's read point C again. This is, it has been about the Father's plan all along. The Godhead was focused on this plan before time began and made certain choices that matter to us. They definitely matter to us, don't they? Because we're right in the center of God's plan right now. Point D. So, the details are as follows. Right? And, and I say, by the way, this info can only be learned by the spirit of truth. And we already saw that in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, and 10. We can't, we can't detail anything. We can't, we can't say point one, two, three, four about anything. The Holy Spirit has to reveal this information to us because it is not something that eye has seen, ear has heard, neither has entered into the heart of man. These things are only delivered to us by means of the Spirit. we got to respect that. So the Father's plan. Okay, so let's read this. So the details are as follows. The Father's plan is the conclusion of the Godhead from eternity past. The Son would execute it. The Spirit of truth would reveal and equip the elect. We, we are the elect, just in case you didn't know. <laughs> the Holy Spirit will equip us 
and reveal this information to us because it belongs to us. So we fully accept and understand the integration that uh, it was the Father's plan. And it, when we think about the Father's plan, that, you know, there's, there's that cute phrase, the Father planned it, the Son executed it, and the Holy Spirit reveals it. All that's true. It's just we need to make sure it's not just talking about salvation. It's not just talking about salvation. It's God's eternal purpose that is in view there. So we got to make sure we understand uh, as we read these verses that now everything we've learned in the Bible, everything you've learned about revelation and future depends on God's eternal purpose. In fact, we could look at God's eternal purpose like a bike wheel as the hub of everything that's important to God. And then the spokes that are going out are all the other things that support the hub. The hub is the most important part. If you don't have a hub in the tire, you can't ride. If somehow some spokes break off, you probably could still ride. But you want all of that working together. And with the hub, it does. That's the Father's plan. Point E in our notes, we're moving forward. This, and I say it's need to know information. Remember, it's not want to know. Right now, the information is out. God thinks we need to know it, but he gives us the opportunity to choose whether we want to know it or not. Remember, it is God's plan that all men be saved and to come to the full knowledge of the truth. That's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It is God's plan. God's purpose, God's desire that we come to the full knowledge of the truth. But some people will not. They will not diligently seek him. And as a result, they will still be ignorant about what God's eternal purpose is. That's true. So this need-to-know information was hidden in God before creation, before time began hidden from Gentiles, hidden from Israel, and is now revealed to us. If you look at Ephesians 3.9, which we have seen many times, that's what it says, literally. 3.9 says, uh, And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Notice the scope of that. It's God is his objective is to make it plain, right? Like to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make it plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. Well, what are we talking about? The administration of this mystery that goes back to verse two. Two, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace, which was given to me for you. Surely you have heard about it. What is it? That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have written, already written briefly. So when we go to verse 9, we know what he's talking about here. To make it plain to everyone. This is our objective in this age. It is, God's not saying, I'm just going to do it. He's going to use the church to do it, as we saw in verse, as we see in verse 10. His intent was that now, now at this time, through the church, there it is, through the church. He's using us, well, just as with the Apostle Paul, right, who was doing this, uh, 
you, you're a church, right? Hopefully you understand you are church. And God's intent is that now, through you, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So every rational being is covered. Right? Every rational being. First he says the Gentiles, back in verse 8. Right? Uh, and then he talks about to everyone, and that's humanly speaking, in verse 9, make plain to everyone. And now he's talking about angelic beings, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So everybody ought to know this information. Everybody has to learn it. Why does everybody have to learn it? Because nobody knew it. It was hid in God, as we saw. It's important to know, but it's now revealed. What do you think your job is? To talk about Israel? Talk about other things? No, your job is to come to the knowledge of the truth, the full knowledge, the deep knowledge of this information, and to be able, just like Paul said, to make it plain to everyone. Now, of course, that's why we're here. That is the whole purpose of it all, of why we stand in the place we're in. Point F. Who are we then? <laughs> And there's a scripture that does answer this perfectly. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Nobody could be in Christ prior to this age. Why? Because Christ had not yet been glorified. Christ had not sent the Spirit. Christ didn't even finish his job in Old Testament. He was just to come in the future. But now Christ came, did his job, was glorified, and now the Spirit has come and has baptized us into Christ. So who are we? Therefore, if anybody is in Christ, anyone, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Now, the old, it wasn't possible for anybody in the Old Testament to be in Christ. Old is gone, the new is here. There's very specific things about who we are now and what the baptism of the Holy Spirit has brought us. We probably need to discuss. There's, there's another category. We talk about the five ministries of the Spirit. And what we could also talk about is all of the results of the baptism of the Spirit. Because it talks about the fact that we're sons and all of these things, that uh, the glory that will be revealed in us and the inheritance that is ours, the new information that is ours, and which we don't cover necessarily in the five ministries of the Holy Spirit. But there are a lot other things, other things that we could talk about when we think about what, what are some of the results of the baptism of the Spirit. We're sons as a result of who he is and what he has made of us. We're talking about who he is. I'm talking about Christ himself. So uh, anybody's in Christ, the new, the new creation is here. It's now here. And when it says new creation, that's us. Never before seen. The new there is what we call kainos new. In the Greek, the word means never before seen, unprecedented, new. So point G, 
That's who, who, who are we? And what are we is the next thought. And here's a quote, and this is from 1 Corinthians 15 and 49. It says, and just as we have, we have borne the image of the earthly man, and you know, I can just look around and see that that's true. We all have borne the image of the earthly man. We know what that looks like. We know what that is like. We know what we are in terms of our humanity from Adam. But now notice what Paul is saying here. So shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. And we read about who this heavenly man was. Heavenly man, <laughs> the terms, man belongs on earth, but this is the heavenly man. We're talking about the Lord from heaven. We're talking about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is now in heaven representing who we are. We are now seated with him in the heavenly realms in, in this eternal purpose of God. So if we're in him, the, if we are the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, then what we have in Christ is we have, according to this verse, we bear his image. I like, the, in fact, uh, what it says in Philippians, where he will take our lowly bodies and they will be transformed into his glorious body. That's in Philippians 3 at the very end. So shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. So just remember, it's not just some heavenly man. Christ said, he said, all things in heaven and on earth have been given to me. What about Christ? He's been raised far above all principality and power and dominion and might and every title that could be named. In this age and in any future age, we're talking about the man from heaven, the heavenly man. Or in Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Christ with us who fill him in every way. So 1 Corinthians 15, 49 just literally comes right out and says that the image that we bore, we bore the image of the earthly man. Now we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. What will that look like? Heavenly man is the glorified Christ, the person of Christ who now stands over both natures. Uh, it's awesome. When we say all that Christ says, all that belongs to the Father is mine, uh, he means it. He stands over both natures. We will bear the image of the heavenly man. And we're going to close with point H. Note. We are not in Christ unless the Father chooses us to be in him. Now, lots of people might say, well, this is grand. I want to be in Christ. <laughs> you can't just be in Christ unless you are chosen by the Father before time began, before God created the universe. Now, of course, from our that's from God's perspective. How many people are in Christ? The Father could tell you exactly what the number is. If you ask me, how many people are, are in Christ? I don't know. Because it's tied to this age, to whomever believes in Christ. 
And we don't know the number of people who will believe in Christ. But for us, it's, not, it's, it's simple. We don't have to convince people to be in Christ. We have to convince people to be saved. We are, not, we are ministers of reconciliation. Remember, it talked about that in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where it says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation is here. Well, right after that, it talks about that we have been given uh, a new title, a new ministry, and that ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. And that means we're causing people to come from Adam and be reconciled to God in Christ. And that is our job. That is what we are telling people. We don't have to tell people that, hey, let me tell you about what the baptism of the Spirit does. Let me tell you what all that happens, the mechanics and the details. We don't have to do all that. All we have to do is focus our attention on salvation by grace. And if a person understands salvation by grace and believes in Christ in this age, then that is one of the persons that the Father has chosen in Christ before the to be in Christ before the creation of the world. So that to me is profound. God has not complicated this thing for us. It's simple. That's all you got to do. The Spirit will do the rest. The Spirit will take each person and baptize them into the body of Christ. Yeah, Christ executed the plan. We don't have to execute the plan. That's John 17, 4. Christ did that work. He, there's nothing that we have to do in this. Christ says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Christ says, I, I did my part. The Spirit comes, and he, what does he do? He baptizes everyone into the body of Christ. Look, that's 1 Corinthians 12, 13. What do we have to do? Well, we have to be ministers of reconciliation to tell people that they could be saved. It, we don't talk about their sins, right? We talk about Christ, who is the answer. Christ has, uh, he, we gave him our sins. He, in turn, gives us his righteousness. So we are ministers of reconciliation. We have to tell the world about the work of Christ, how he is performed to save them, and the plan of God, which is to justify and provide righteousness to every person who believes in Christ. So that salvation is absolutely free. It is not something someone has to earn. They don't deserve salvation. They don't work up to it. And then they, like, you know, we're doing a chin-up and we just barely get our chin-up over the bar. And we say, okay, I did that chin-up. There's nothing you have to do. No effort. All you have to do is understand, allow the Holy Spirit to teach you who Christ is, what he has done. And all you are required to do is believe. And by believing, you receive eternal life in his name. Simple as that. And what the ramifications of that for a person in this age who believes in Christ, they are baptized into the body of Christ and all these things we have been talking about come into play for them. Imagine that. 
one decision. Just like it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Just like it says, believe on the Lord. What, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. For by grace are you saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. We're going to close with this thought. We'll continue next week in the same thought. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you so much for this, the word you have given us. We pray that as we think about these words, they are challenging to us. They challenge personally who we are. They challenge what we know, what we think, what we're proud of. They challenge our very lives in this world. So, Father, we, we pray that we will have enough humility and enough courage to diligently seek you and follow your will for our lives. We thank you for those who are, have are shown up here and given their time and their energy to this pursuit. This is what we are, are about, Father, and we, we thank you for bringing those who have the same understanding, the same mind, so that we can have fellowship around these things. And we pray for uh, not only believers, wherever they may be in this world, that they may also come to the fullness and stature of Christ, that we all may come to this, and that your will be that you come, Lord Jesus, so that is the blessed hope that we hope for. The culmination, not only of the plan, but, but so that we can continue human history. So all of this we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Amen.